Hi, everybody. This is Jenny. And this is Alexa. And you're listening to Checked Out, the Lexington Public Library podcast. Um, today, we're going to be talking about a book called The Return um, by Hisham Matar. And I'm probably butchering his, his <laughs> name, and our special guest will, will fix it for me. Um, before we get started talking about the book, I just want to do a couple housekeeping things real fast. If you like the podcast, if you listen to the podcast, please subscribe on iTunes and go online and give us a rating. Um, and that will help other people find us in iTunes and give us an idea of who's listening. Um, also, if you like the podcast, um, the library has a huge selection of e-audiobooks that you can download to your smartphone or to a um, media player and listen to in your car or on a walk or at the gym or wherever you're listening to this podcast, you could be listening to an audiobook. Um, I know I love them. They make my commutes much better and make me less stabby in traffic. <laughs> Traffic's really awful, so I'm a big fan. Um, well, today we have a very special guest with us. Um, Miriam, a librarian from the Central Library, is joining us to talk about The Return by Hisham Matar. Is that right? Yes. His name is Hisham Matar. See, it sounds so much better when Miriam <laughs> says it. I can't, I, yeah. It's much more elegant. Thank you guys for having me. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. Um, so we'll just give you a little bit of background about the book. Um, as we always say, this is a spoiler-free podcast. So if you haven't read the book yet and you want to be surprised by the ending... Um, stop listening now and go put a hold on it and check it out. Um, but it's also a book that doesn't really have a definitive kind of... Uh, it's a beautiful book to read even mm-hmm. if you know what's coming. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and I think a lot of memoirs and nonfiction can can kind of be described as that. Because, yeah. I mean, it, it happened. It's Absolutely. real. So, I mean, yeah. there's not really spoilers to real life, <laughs> no, I don't it's think. Somebody's, it's somebody's truth. So. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's beautifully, beautifully written. It is. Uh, it's one of the most beautifully written books I think yes. I've, I've ever read. The, the language is just wonderful. Um, the Return is nonfiction. It is the story. It is it is um, Hisham's story of his father, uh, who, say his name for me, Miriam. Uh, See, so much better. Uh, he was a revolutionary uh, against the Qaddafi regime in Libya. His father actually worked for um, King Idris. Is that how you, am I saying that right? King Idris, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, he was uh, worked for his uh, government, the UN, correct? He did, I think. Um he was a, a special envoy for the UN, United Nations, I believe, yeah. And then in um, 1969, uh, Gaddafi led a small band of uh, military men in a coup and overthrows the king. Um, so Hisham's family returns briefly, I believe, to Libya, and then yeah. they fled to Egypt. Correct. I think I believe right right after the coup um, of '69, Jabal Matar returned. He was in London at the time on work, and um, he returned to Libya and subsequently imprisoned. I believe for about four months, which happened to a lot of the top military uh, guys um, um, in Libya at the time. Uh, Muammar Gaddafi wanted to kind of test the waters with them. Um, he wasn't sure, you know, if they would be supportive of him and. Um, and so he, he kind of basically arrested all of them and, and threw them in prison. Um, See how that goes over. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think it was his way of asserting his role um, mm-hmm. in the country and make sure that, you know, hey, I'm the boss and this is and this is how things are from here on out. Um, I, Jabal Amatar, I think, was released after a few months. Um, and uh, he mentions this in his book, Hisham does, where... Um, you know that a lot of the top military officers, even the ones that that helped him with the coup, were sent abroad to kind of get them out of the way so that he can, 
you know, change uh, whatever policies and whatever um, institutions he wanted to, with you know, mm-hmm. um, and while they weren't watching. Um, he, he made them ambassadors. A lot ambassadors, of time, right? a lot of time ambassadors, yeah, envoys, special envoys mm-hmm. overseas, um, you know, so whatever, just to get them out of the country. Right. Um, sent them out on business. Um, they sent them, he sent them to study abroad. A lot of them, you know, finished PhDs or... Um, and the the whole point was to get them out of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's hard to, to keep what's going on in the country, even if you are abroad, you know, when you talk to family, even back then. So, um, but yeah, that was a tactic that he used in the, very early on in his regime. Mm-hmm. And so um, Hashem's family ends up uh, fleeing to Egypt, yeah. where his father continues working uh, from afar uh, to oppose uh, Gaddafi's mm-hmm. regime. And then in 1990, is captured by the Egyptian secret police and sent to Libya and imprisoned in um, Abu Salim, mm-hmm. uh, which is a notorious uh, prison in Libya um, for, I guess, for for people who were in opposition to Gaddafi. Is yeah, that essentially, that's where a lot of the political prisoners were sent. Um, the majority, if not all, were all political prisoners over there um, at one time or another. Um, and it was notorious for the torture. Um, you know, family w- weren't allowed to visit. So it was it was basically the um, the dark hole where a lot of the political prisoners went um, to. Um, Jabalah, along with Azat Limgeriev, who was also part of the opposition movement, were kidnapped um, by the Egyptian police and. Um, uh, subsequently, we, f- we would find out later that they were taken to Abu Sunim to Tripoli and, and disappeared uh, for years. Nobody really knew where where they were. Yeah, Hisham was very young when the, he was in college. He was a, um, in college when this happened, correct? Yeah, or, yeah. yeah. nineteen. I think. I think yeah. he says he was nineteen. Yeah, um, and soon, um, the book is the story of of his family's return in 2012 mm-hmm. um, to go back to Libya. It's the first time he returns. Um, since he was a child, um, and it's it's the story of, of the family going back and also of him trying to kind of find out what happened to his dad. They start to ask a lot of questions about what happened to his father, ultimately. Um, mm-hmm. There was a large massacre in 1996 at the prison. Um, I think the estimate from the UN that I saw was um, 1,270 prisoners Correct, yeah. were killed at the yeah. time. Um, and so he's basically trying to figure out if, if the, his father was killed then. Was he killed before? Was he killed after? Mm-hmm. Is he still alive somewhere? Um, mm-hmm. So that's sort of ostensibly what the what the book is about. But it's also really a love letter to his father, to mm-hmm. his father's uh, fight, and um, to sort of figuring out your place in the world when you, you don't really have... You don't have that that centered home, mm-hmm. kind of. Yeah, um, you know, if you're coming to this book because you want to know about the politics of Libya, this is not the book for you. Um, this was more about the relationship that he had with his father, or um, you know, his mother describes his father the absent present, mm-hmm. you know, um, and the relationship with that absence, um, and it was so beautifully done. I think. Um, in such a lyrical way, he writes so beautifully. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it's more about that relationship and trying to find um, answers. You know, w- what happened to his father, and he wanted to know the truth and 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 the hope that that he hung on to that maybe he would find his father alive. Um, and that was something that he grappled with um, for you know his entire adult life. Um, 
I really, if, if you've read Hisham Matar's previous uh, fiction novels, he has two other books. Um, one, the first one is called In the Country of Men, and the second one is In the uh, Anatomy of a Disappearance. Um, it was kind of hard reading the book and not thinking that it was either, you know, Suleiman of, of In the Country of Men or Nuri of, uh, you know, Anatomy of a Disappearance especially when he talks about his childhood. So it was, when you read them, you kind of like, you know, you read it and you think that it reads kind of almost fiction. Mm-hmm, I mean, right. the intrigue of, you know, the, especially with his brother, mm-hmm. the attempted kidnap of his brother and all that. But then you you come to a stop and it's like in you know, your gut clenches and you're like, wait a minute, this is truth. This is his yeah, truth. Right. There were several times when I had to remind myself this was not a work of fiction no, I was reading, that it was, this is real life. So yeah, um, so I found it interesting. His mother asks him in the beginning, you know, who's returning to Libya? Is mm-hmm. it Suleiman or Nuri? And um, I thought it was, you know, just go reading the book. It was sometimes I, I got thrown into one of his other books that as if it was fiction, but this is, this is an actual memoir. Um, and it's heartbreaking at times, but at, at times it is. There is that glimpse of hope um, and that glimpse of um, optis, optimism, which is kind of hard to maintain in living that kind of life with a disappeared father and, and, and not knowing um, the answers to how and what happened to him. Um, the amount of optimism in a yeah. book of this, it's, it is a dark read. It is depressing, <laughs> it it is. Is, but it's so beautiful. It's yeah. beautiful. It's lyrical, like you mm-hmm. said. And, I mean, just, yeah, the ability mm-hmm. that he has to maintain that optimism and yeah. that hope is just incredible. Yeah. And his whole family, because it's not just his father who's imprisoned. He has many uncles and cousins who, right. yeah. who end up in prison yeah. as and well. Again, and, yeah. and a generational thing, because his father, you know, his father's... Um, that age group go and get imprisoned mm-hmm. in the 80s and 90s and then we find out later on um, his cousin yeah. um, and, and, and brother take up the fight in um, 2011 and yeah. uh, 2012. The and revolution yeah. that broke out February 17th. Yeah, yeah, and, and they, they take up that as well and, and are affected by it. So it's it's a generational thing for it's the family. Waves. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, essentially Libya is a young country. Um, I mean, they achieved statehood in 1951 so it, there has been turmoil one you know from one generation to the other um so yeah i mean it, all the generations have known some sort of turmoil whether mm-hmm. it's the italian colonization um you know uh the discovery of oil and then so the subsequent coup um that Gaddafi did for 42 years and then the revolution that brought so much hope and and then that window mm-hmm. of you know when hisham goes back to Libya in March, and that whole summer of 2012, there was that window of hope that justice is going to prevail, and that you know that there's hope for this country to kind of move forward. Um, and then you know, but then there's the civil war breaks out, and everything is kind of crushed, basically. Right. Um, uh, so that you know, it's the whole um, story of the struggle. Um, is endless, basically, for Libyans. Um, and it's the story of so many Libyans, unfortunately. You know, with his uncles being in prison, that's a tactic that the regime used to sort of pressure people to into silence. Um, so a lot of the opposition movement, um, men and women, their fam- whoever left and was exiled, their families um, were the brunt of the rage of the regime. Um, houses were torn down. Men were imprisoned. Um, 
you know, the regime threatened the locals and the neighbors to not help families of those affected or else. Um, so, uh, yeah, that was, that was the fear tactics that the regime used. Um, which made towards the end of the book when Saif al-Islam tries yeah. to sort of, you know, bring him back in as if, you know, everything is going to be reconciled and there's reform and... And that we should uh, mention for those who, who don't know that it's Gaddafi's son. Yes. Um, Omar's son, um, uh, Hisham and his brother contact and get in contact, or put in contact with actually, mm-hmm. as they start to put more pressure on uh, the British government um, to through their work with the Libyan uh, government to figure out what happened to his father. And so mm-hmm. he, he gets put in contact with um, Gaddafi's son. And and the son tries to convince him that it's sort of a weird time in history reading the book. And, and Alexa and I um, talked about this, how strange it was for us. Um, we neither, neither of us were aware of, of um, I guess, the attempts to legitimize the Gaddafi regime. Right, and, yeah. And Tony Blair, you know, making the visit. and I went into this book with very little working knowledge of Libya. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Which, is, which is, the I think, most readers. Part of the course. I knew yeah. Gaddafi was readers. not a good guy. Yeah, exactly. That's all I knew. <laughs> I, I knew Gaddafi, or Gaddafi, I knew Tripoli, I knew Benghazi, like, I knew, yeah. like, keywords. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I know that, and yeah. that's about all I had yeah. going yeah. into it. But this attempt in the in um, the late uh, probably I guess to 2010 or so, mm-hmm. them trying to right before the revolution of trying to legitimize the regime and and oh no everything's cool now you guys we're letting political prisoners go look yeah. at us and, yeah, right. and yeah. we've joined the 21st century yeah you know, exactly. come on. <laughs> great yeah jump on this boat <laughs> right <laughs> we've decided to stop all the human rights abuses yeah right yeah. And, and we they, promise we won't do that anymore. Right? Yeah. And here's <laughs> some money to shut you up. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And they, they start doing that to, to, to Hisham and his brother. And, and, oh, come back and live. And, mm-hmm. and why don't you come back? We want to give you money. We want to give you awards for your writing. You're, yeah. you're so, such a well-known Libyan now. Oh, that was... That, I read that I was laughing so hard because, you know... It, he Hisham's writing is beautiful. It's, right, it's great, and he was winning all these awards and shortlisted for the. And Booker. then Libyans mm-hmm. all of a sudden decided that they wanted a piece of that. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like, yeah. 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 hey, hey, books had been banned. I think in yes, Libya for a long that's, time. That's what was funny. Is like, you, know, you know, nobody was allowed to read his books yeah. in yeah. Libya, and yet they wanted to give him awards for it. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah. So it it's just a really kind of fascinating. Uh, piece of recent history that mm-hmm. I really knew nothing about. Absolutely. Yeah. It was fascinating yeah. to read. It was. It was during the time, um, that was around the time, I think, when Muammar Gaddafi decided to come and show up at the UN General Assembly, I think. Um, a lot of Libyans here in America went, um, went and protested in New York when he um, decided to, to show up and pitch his tent, I guess, in, <laughs> in, uh, in New York. But um, it was a blow. It was a blow to the opposition that was already fragmented and already, um, you know, trying to pick up the pieces. Um, but and it was disheartening, I think. Um, <clears throat> and that was what made 2011, in February 2011, the revolution when it broke out. That's what it kind of blew life into the Libyan people again, um, which unfortunately didn't last very long. Um, but yeah, that was, that was disheartening and reading that, um, and just the manipulative nature of safe and the way he talked to Hisham, 
Um, he sets out all these things that he has to do before they can, before he will give him yeah, information. And you yeah. know he and knows. he's dragging it And on. you know he knows what exactly. happened. Right. And it, that's the you one know, part I, of the I'm not sure gets, he knew, to be honest. It was him, like, I think he was, tr- he wanted to find answers for him, but he didn't want to do it in such, he didn't want to risk his position right. as the future heir apparent and ask the wrong, the or the right people the wrong questions. Um he he wanted it to come from him, mm-hmm. from or from like a, you know, he wanted him to print something in the Egyptian newspaper yeah. as if he wanted them to give an interview to this yeah. journalist that was, it was kind of so shady bizarre. and sympathetic to the Gaddafi. It was right. so bizarre, uh, but that was how they operated. Um, again, to legitimize a regime that didn't deserve legitimization because of what they did, then their, their history and their human rights abuses. So, um, but yeah, reading that, it was just like, oh my God, mm-hmm. when they talk how about, far does the manipulation go? Right. Exactly. And when they, they talk about, in, uh, I guess, 2011, they liberated the prison. Abu Salim was liberated. Yes, in and August they, of 2011. Yes. Um, I guess what people kind of labeled it as the end of the revolution, which doesn't really happen. But um, but yeah, Abu Salim was liberated, and, um, and I think... He he says in the book that he doesn't go back to visit the prison. It's empty now. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing there. It's being, I mean, it's completely abandoned. Um, and I'm kind of happy he didn't go. Um, when we went in the summer with my family, my children and I, um, again, my husband's uncle was, was, you know, also a disappeared opposition member, and he was there. So my husband um, felt like the need to go and so I went with him it was a very eerie place um and uh I wish I didn't go I wish I didn't go because you you see the despair there um even though it is abandoned but the the writings on the prison walls the cells and and I mean it was decrepit place and I can't imagine how people spent years decades decades there Mm -hmm. there's people there that were like imprisoned for thirty years, um, you know, it it was depressing. And they said um, there were like secret cellar cells yeah, as well. They found a blind guy hiding cr- down in yes, the basement. After, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not sure who that prisoner was. To be honest, I've never found out what the name of that person was. But um, uh, it was it was very difficult to walk through that prison. Um, because, you know, a lot of people went back there to find answers, and not very many people found the answers, um, you know, with the exception of um, Mansour Kikhia, who was also a prominent opposition member. He was actually Libya's UN um, envoy as well um, that opposed um, Muammar Gaddafi, and he was kidnapped from Egypt in 1993. Um Subsequently, his body was found in 2012 after um, Abdullah Sunusi, which Hisham mentions in his book as well. He's the head of the Secret Service um, and also the mastermind behind the um, the the downing of a French ET liner um, in the late 80s, I think. Um, but anyways, he uh, during his interrogation, he revealed where Mansour Kikhia was buried. And when his body was found, I think they... There was some hope that maybe they would find Azat Lemgeriev and Jabal Lamatar as well, but that didn't happen. He, he, uh, and the, during the interrogation, he said that he doesn't know any information about that. But um, yeah, a lot of people wanted answers and they didn't get any because nobody was forthcoming with it, and they kind of just passed the buck to the next 
whoever authority figure was responsible at the time. Um, a lot of the the regime members escaped and, and now are living underground, whether it's in Tunisia or... Gaddafi's son is still alive, correct? Oh, yes. Yeah. He's... Um, you know, there's rumors always going. He's in imprisoned in a, the western side of Libya uh, in a city called Zintan. There's a militia there that's holding him. Um, I'm not sure, you know, what they plan to do with him right now, but um, I know the ICC, the International Criminal Court, has a case against him and um, against Abdullah Sunusi. Abdullah Sunusi is being held in a Tripoli prison currently. Um, the Libyans don't want to hand them over. They believe in that they have sovereignty and they want to try them in Libya. Um, there's not really a ju- judiciary that can handle that kind of, I think, in Libya right now, mm-hmm. especially the, the climate, the current political climate. It doesn't lend itself to a, um, I guess, uh, a fair trial, you can say. Right. Um, you know, people are, are barely managing to survive day to day over there right now. So, um, but yeah, the, currently there is an ICC uh, case against him and they want him, they want him handed over. I'm not sure what the status is of uh, of that situation is, but um, but yeah, reading that in the book, it was it it brought me back to the days of of, of pre-revolution, 2011, and during the revolution, and um, a lot of it was painful, be, you know, given the current climate and how just uh, hopeless the situation seems right now. Going back to those days, it's like, oh, yeah, I remember. I remember. And he talks a lot in the book about that window was, of, of hope and how it, yeah. almost, it, it was teetering on the brink. It could have gone one of two ways. Yeah. The, the time that he went back, the return, his, his return, everything was going against Libya at the time. I mean, there was, there was nothing to be able to build a nation on. There was no institutions. There was, again, no judiciary. No, I mean, there was... Nobody, Gaddafi was it. He was the one in charge. So when when he left, there was nobody in charge. So there was a huge vacuum. And, you know, whatever, you know, organization or whatever governing body came through, whether it's the, you know, the transitional council or the, the newly elected parliament, which was elected, I think, in July of 2012 at the time. Um, when you don't have institutions to build on, it's very difficult to build a nation on on. You're building it from scratch, essentially. Essentially. And, you know, add into the mix the different militias that are rivaling for power, um, the tribal uh, situations, you know, that was something that Gaddafi actually built on. He he really fed into the festering tribal, um, uh, what do you call it, like the tribal um, factions, you know, the different... um, I guess you can say disagreements or whatever. Um, he really fed into that, um, and that kind of exploded after the revolution. There was no accountability. There was no um, sense of like uh, security forces that would enforce the rule of law. So a lot of people took the law into their own hands, um, and currently they're grappling with that until now with the rival um, militias and the kidnappings, and and then add ISIS to the mix, and you know that can and and the different. Um, you know, international factions that um, want to serve their own interests. So that's that's a lot to grapple with, and and unfortunately, it mixed all together and and gave us the current situation. Um, going back to what Alexis earlier said about not knowing anything about Libya and just she knew Tripoli and she knew Benghazi, <laughs> and, and unfortunately, Benghazi. 
you know, the city where my husband is from, um, uh, that's where we went to visit in 2012. And it was such a beautiful city. The people there are so gracious and the, um, the hospitality, the beauty of the city, the mix of like the historical um, aspect of Benghazi, the Italian structures and the, but, and the, and the deep tradition um, there and the beautiful coastline. And that was the Benghazi I knew and the Benghazi that the, that the people of Benghazi knew. So when um, the whole situation with um, the U.S. ambassador, um, Chris Stevens, when he was uh, killed in that, um, the embassy raid, um, that was what the rest of the world knew. That was the Benghazi, the rest of the, and it was heartbreaking because that, that situation does not define the city. Um, and he, Hisham in this book, describes Benghazi in such it's a beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. way. And, and I was like, yes, general. this is the Benghazi I know. Yeah. This is what yeah. um, the Benghazi the, that my children knew and what they they have in their mind. And he talks about the blend of cultures. Yes. Mm-hmm. And the, the yes. influence from, you know, the, the Ottomans and the and then the Italians. Yeah. And, and, and there's the the Greek, yeah. uh, the eastern side of the, the Roman um, structures. And it just, it's beautiful. It's it's gorgeous. Um so that that to me, when I read that, it's like, oh yeah, I remember that. And then he talks about the coast and the mm-hmm. beaches and the water. Before Benghazi was just a political buzzword. Exactly, it's like it's an actual place. Yes, and there's people. really yeah, people exactly. there that are you know that are struggling. Yeah. <laughs> so um, the way he talks about it was so beautiful, and I, I'm I'm glad he did that. Um, introduced he's, people and his readers to that. He's great at putting you in that place, mm-hmm. and I think that. Um, I know I'm really bad about when I picture the world, looking at it, you know, through my kind of worldview, my lens as an American, but he pulls you out and and puts you in a different part of the world and and Mm -hmm. seeing a place like Benghazi and this beautiful, wonderful city and Mm -hmm. how fast. um, And the rich, like, literary scene in Benghazi. I mean, even when my dad talks about Benghazi, that's, you know, people, that was their life. You know, they gathered and they talked about literature and poetry and some of the best poets are from the eastern side of the country in Libya, and so um, it was. It was really nice reading that um, and how he described it is, is, is really beautiful. And that's something that he does a lot throughout mm-hmm. the book. Is he has a lot of literary references in this book? Yeah, um, he finds out his dad was was quite the writer. <coughs> yeah, that yes, was so I loved that. Oh my God. It was beautiful when he yeah when he discovered his father's writing was so amazing. Mm-hmm. Like especially like after he got the award for his first book and. And just finding out, um, reading his father's writing. I loved reading the little snippets from the short stories. Yeah, there's a we should we should tell people who haven't read. There's a scene in the book where um, he, they're they're back in Libya and he's mm-hmm. giving a reading. Hisham is giving a reading, um, mm-hmm. and talking about his his book. And there's an he makes eye contact with an old man in the front row who's mm-hmm. sitting there holding a leather bound book, kind of shaking. And he comes up to him at intermission and hands him. And it, his father in college was part of the college literary society, mm-hmm. like one of the founding members, I think. Yeah, in Tripoli. And yeah. he had all of it bound into one volume for him and he gives it to him and he, he knew his father wrote poetry he knew his, knew his father loved poetry but he didn't know he had written fiction mm-hmm. and so he gets to read these short stories of his father's and it's just such a beautiful moment where he yeah. gets to discover his father as a young man yeah and no because when he when he was younger he always you know his father was a military man mm-hmm. and he you know was this prominent businessman and this prominent opposition member and he was this really you know tough go-getter and but for him to discover that he had this connection with his father, mm-hmm. you know, the literary aspect of it was such, uh, I, I think it, I'm glad that he, he got that. 
Um, and in that same meeting, he there was a the same gentleman. He got up and spoke about Hisham's mother. Yes, right. Um, so beautifully, and he he talked about how his mother, um, you know, opened her home in Tripoli for the the prisoners that were you know leaving uh, Gaddafi's prisons when they were released um, right after the the coup. She opened up their uh, their homes to their families when they came to uh, visit their their. Um, their male relatives in prison, and she, um, you know, she was such a gracious host to them. And the women of the opposition movement are some of the most unsung heroes. So I'm going to get emotional. I remember my mother. Um, my father traveled a lot for the opposition movement. She was such a strong figure in our family. Um, Without her, I think my father couldn't have done what he did, and I think a lot of the opposition men in the movement wouldn't have survived without them. There's the beautiful scene where um, they talk about their mother making uh, making meals mm -hmm. for the men and care packages and taking them stationary, and it's that morale boost that is yeah. just un... Like you said, they wouldn't have been able to carry on without that. Yeah. And she's so just humble and self just yeah, I, I didn't she, even do that. Yeah, much. she was like, oh, I don't even remember yeah, it. Because they did know, it out of yeah. love. And exactly. out of, um, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't, you know, oh, she's the good wife, you know, she has to stand by her man. It wasn't like that. It was, yes, it was part of that, you know, but it was true love of people. Not just your husband, but also for what he stood for. He was a man of honor he was a man of um you know he he knew what he knew what his country was capable of and he fought for it and she stood next to him um not behind him and um and for her to be to put up with a disappeared husband all these years and raise two sons and she did it in such a s silent manner um I think was was such a good tribute of the gentleman to go and speak mm -hmm. about his mother, mm -hmm. and that was a story of a lot of women of the opposition and the exiled, because a lot of them weren't were exiled not by choice. Um, they just followed their husband, thinking that it was just going to be two years, maybe three years. Um, you know, I tell the story of my mother. Um, always having a storage room saving up for when she went back home um, when we when my father first started with the opposition movement in the early 80s um, and I remember we were in Morocco and Sudan and Egypt and um, she was saving you know all these trinkets and things that she was going to take back home with her to Libya to decorate her house um, but it never came to fruition, unfortunately. And it wasn't until we moved here to the U.S. in 1986 um, that we finally felt like, okay, we need to put roots here. Um, and she, I think, realized that too. And kind of, you know, um, she was our strength in the present, like Hisham said about his mother. You know, his father held on to the rich history of his country. And kind of fought for the future of his country, but the women anchored the present because, you know, there's children that need to be taken care of. There's a life to live. There's a home to be made. And, and they did that with such grace um, and strength, and, um, and they don't get thanked enough for it. 
It's, so. she's really, it's really the story of women throughout history, mm-hmm. the ones who hold down the home front mm-hmm. and make sure that life can continue yeah. and things can go on and whose struggles and whose roles in mm-hmm. revolutions uh, are often overlooked and yeah. not talked about. Exactly. And I was, I, like you said, I was so glad that there's that moment is included in the book to give mm-hmm. his mom her due. Right. Yeah. And talk about the importance of her role. I yeah. love the family, the way he describes his family. There's a, the way they talk about when they're together, mm-hmm. um, just seems so much warmth from all of them and yeah. I love that one of the things I, that just stuck with me is that they would all lie they'd all sleep or hang out in the same bed these uh-huh. tiny little twin beds he and mm-hmm. his brother were living together and his dad would come visit and they would sleep or they would they would lay together like head to foot so they were yeah. facing each other and, yeah. and just get real cozy and uh-huh. have these long talks and I thought that was just such a sweet moment and um, spoke to just how close they were really yeah and I think also because of Hisham's family I believe is from Shdabia which is a Bedouin um kind of the eastern the families there are very still live you know the houses are kind of small and, and that was mm-hmm. that was how the families lived especially in the you know in the hot summer months where they would all live in one room for the air conditioning or you know that was just the way that you know and it did foster this mm-hmm. really tight-knit family unit and families over there um so yeah um, but yeah, the, the scenes with his family um, always centered around food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. how it is, and like, like uh, meals were an event. Um, but yeah, the way he described his relationship with his family, because that's, I think for me, going back, that's what really tied me to Libya. Um, growing up, hearing my family, my parents talking about Libya like this, it's some sort of heaven mm-hmm. on earth and you go back and it's kind of there's a little bit of a disappointment um you know when I landed there in my plane I ex- on the on the plane I expected there to be sort of connection there wasn't it wasn't it wasn't until I got to you know my aunt's house and you know started talking and that's when you start making the connection and that's when um so it's not the actual physical place but it's the connection that you have with your family um, with the interactions you have with people on the street, um, even even when I'm here in the U.S., when I'm cooking traditional food for my kids, I think to myself, my grandmother made these same dishes for her family, and those are the connections that matter, and that's what makes me feel Libyan, um, not necessarily being there, not you know physically. So, um, yeah, those scenes are some of the most beautiful, I think, that he describes um, and the most comforting, I think, after experiencing such horror uh, from from the regime. But it's those connections that kind of, um, I guess, um, humanize um, yeah, we, this horrible situation. We were talking a little bit before we started recording about how he can take these just horrifying images and he can mm-hmm. just do a pivot so quickly yes. and and bring levity to it mm-hmm. or and there's a scene in in the book where um that his aunts i believe are making mm-hmm. a shirt you call it a sugar wax yeah yeah um, and, it's, and, and they really liked it when they were kids because you can it's like syrup. it tastes good it's, yeah. yeah it's just sugar and they would use it to to wax uh their arms yeah. and, and their legs and stuff and it's just such a it's such an interesting scene i mean and yeah. it's really one of those scenes that jane was talking about where it's like this big family gathering and mm-hmm. all of the cousins are running around and yeah. they would tell his little his one of his girl cousins well you'll have to do this eventually one day and she's just like no, no. <laughs> why would I ever do that and it's just yeah. and it, for, for all of the, the darkness and, and mm-hmm. kind of yeah, just this, the tragedy of this yeah. book he does it so beautifully though, yes. in the book. like he could describe this horrible like 
scene where his father's picking up body parts from the street, or exactly. you know, or or the scenes where he's describing what happened in Abu Salim, mm-hmm. and but he pivots mm-hmm. so great gracefully though he does it he does. in a very seamless way he's got a, just such a mastery of, yeah. of the language in oh, this yeah. book it's oh, insane yeah. yeah I mean all of his like references to um, you know the story of uh, Odysseus yeah. and his Telemachus. son Telemachus yeah there's a strong strong current here strong, to the Odyssey strong strong current to the Odyssey mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Is, I loved yeah. Uh, I did too I, I did that. too yeah. <laughs> I had to pull out my copy a few times when I was reading this <laughs> I was just like what did Telemachus do let me go yeah. back and review this yeah yeah so. His his father is is and you realize it has to be very close. I guess um, Telemachus was probably very young when Odysseus left, mm-hmm. um, and never really knew his father till adulthood. And and that sort of Hisham, his father is a lot like a ghost. He kind of flits in and out of the story. Yeah. Um, he's never fully formed all the way. Although mm-hmm. you get some clear pictures of him, some pictures clearer than mm-hmm. others, and that's got to be what he is. He's he's not because he doesn't know him as an adult. He's never fully formed in his eyes. He right. knows him as a child and a father, but not as a man. And I think mm-hmm. that part of going back to Libya for him was hoping to discover his father, the man. Yeah, yeah, and that was essential to him. I think even when he was, you know, with the conversations he had with his aunts and his uncles and his brother-in-law and or his father's brother-in-law, and um, uh, and I think he got that. He was able to get that, you know, especially through his father's writing and um, and experiencing the family home and all that. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm glad he he returned. I'm, in the beginning of the book, he actually struggles. Mm-hmm. He you know in the airport scene, the, on the opening scene, he's mm-hmm. like, "Do I want to go? Do I do I really want to do this? Yeah, do I want to open um, this, this?" And wound. he and he actually makes references to other. Um, to other literary fig- figures like Conrad and, and Nobokov, and, and they never returned from exile. Um, and he says, like, return and you will face the absence of or defacement of what you treasured because you have this memory of this country that you kind of um, mystified and you've, you know, but you're scared to go back and, and see something that you don't want to see. Um, and never meet your heroes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that was a little bit true for me as well when I went back. Um, you know, you hear about Libya and all the, the, the graceness of it and the people and the... Um, and I didn't find it um, in a lot of the places. So I... Um, I found it with my family. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's completely different when you're with your family. Um, when you are in other gatherings, like, you know, with social gatherings and people question your Libyanness or they question your um, motives for coming back. Oh, you're coming back because, you know, we, you know, you think you can help build this country and we can't, you know, or they or they make you feel guilty that you lived in exile in America and they had to struggle under a repressive regime and and he actually mentions that also he says guilt is the exile's eternal companion it stains every departure um and so and that was another level of uh, animosity between libyans is you know the people that are um that were living in um exile or the um the diaspora that were coming back to libya just to visit or whether whether it's just to visit or actually work there um there was a level of animosity between the two. Um, so, and, and a lot of people that, a lot of the diaspora that were going back were looking down on the Libyans that were there, you know, as if they were some sort of people from, you know, backward society or, you know, no, you should live your life this way. And and, and that fed into it as well. Um, a lot of the um, 
people that were living in exile went back thinking that they were going to, you know, be the uh, saviors of this country. And that wasn't true because um, they were gone. They, they don't know the mechanics of the country. They don't know the mechanics of the people there and, and how things work. And, and they didn't take the time to listen. Um, so that was another level of, of, of animosity and, and, and things that were going against the country right after the, the revolution. Um, so, yeah. Um, but, yeah, he writes so beautifully and, and um, makes a lot of literary references that um, I think are relevant and just, and just right. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, and, and, and to that, um, there's a quote, one of my favorite quotes from Miriam uh, Adinish. Um, she says, you will never be completely at home again because part of your heart will always be elsewhere. That is the price you pay for the richness of loving and knowing people in more than one place. And we discussed this earlier about, you know, you're always, you're never Libyan enough and you're never American enough. Um, but that, that's, um, that's the, the, the life that you have to live. Um, you kind of have to accept both worlds. And that's because each world is a part of you. And um, for me, I don't define myself as just American or just Libyan um, because there's, so many aspects of me that include both, and I'm both. Um, and Hisham does that uh, beautifully as well in his book. Um, you know, he he struggles, you know, with the love of Libya, and um, but at the same time, being forced to make home in London or in America, or you know, um, so it, yeah. And and he's both, and he does it. He shows that in his book. So one of my coworkers. Um, Grew up in Cuba and uh, was a political prisoner and, mm -hmm. and fled and has lived in America for over 20 years. Um, and now as sort of relations are thawing, he's talking about going back and taking his husband with him. And he, he said, made a comment to me the other day that something about how his husband could never truly understand him and, and understand Cuba until he went, mm -hmm. until he went to where he had grown up and oh, he had yeah. seen where he grew up and he mm -hmm. saw his family and, mm -hmm. you know, he had been to where his husband grew up in Alabama and knew his family, but to take him there, to take him to Cuba and show him mm -hmm. was going to be such a vital part of their marriage. And I just thought that was just so beautiful, mm -hmm. the way he, the way he, he described it. Yeah. Yeah. You don't, I mean, you can't really know until you experience it, mm -hmm. so. Right. But yeah. So. It's a beautiful, beautiful book. Mm -hmm. I can't say enough about it. It is. Yeah. Um, if you just want to read a great memoir, this mm -hmm. is the book for you. If you have any interest in uh, learning more about Libya, this is a great book. <laughs> um, like Miriam said, he doesn't get a lot into the politics of it. So it's, it's a good starting place. It's a good starting point, mm -hmm. exactly. It's a good entry-level mm -hmm. book uh, on, on Libyan history and politics and but it's also, above all, it's just a beautifully written book yeah. um, and a beautifully written story of, of a father and a son mm -hmm. and, and trying to figure out yeah. what happens. It's not... I think I thought I started it thinking it was going to be kind of a mystery and we would find out what happens uh, mm -hmm. to, to his father. We never do. Mm -hmm. He doesn't know to this yeah. day, for yeah. sure. Uh, probably never will. And sort of part of the story is coming to terms with that as well. Yeah. Yeah, and throughout the book he says he says he's always been a prisoner of hope mm -hmm. and hope finding his father, um, whether he's alive or answers and or he wants a body to bury that, you know, he wanted that the finality of a funeral. Um, um but he comes to to terms with just not knowing and um uh and that was uh, that's the case for a lot of a lot of Libyan families, unfortunately. So 
Um, There's even a point, I think, where one person says they saw him in the yeah, courtyard the day yeah. of the execution, the mass execution in um, 96, and mm-hmm. it turns out later the person kind of recants the story a little bit and says, mm-hmm. oh, no, I, d- I didn't actually see him. Someone pointed him out to me. And said that's Jabal Yeah, that's... Kind of that's um, that happened a lot, actually, with not just Jabullah, with also with Azat Um You know, people were so eager to help and find, and, and so a lot of the prisoners that um, survived the massacre in Abu Sadim um, came and they, you know, they contacted the families. And, you know, yeah, I saw, I saw Jabullah, I saw, I saw, you know, Azat, and they didn't really, nobody really knows. Um, so... Yeah, and and um, and I th- and this book kind of comes to terms with that. Um, and, and Hisham, I think at the end, it's kind of like, okay, this is this is where it is, and, and that's okay. Yeah, it might not be the story that yeah. anybody wanted, but no. that's the story that it is. It yeah. is, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Well, I, I again, I can't recommend it enough. I think it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really wonderful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you for joining us, Mary. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Thanks, guys.